Hello and welcome to Strat News Global. I am Subrat Nanda and joining me from Washington DC is Alex Watanka, Director of Iran Program at the Middle East Institute. And today we will discuss recent developments surrounding the murder of a top Iranian nuclear scientist. Alex, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Do you see Fakhrizadeh's killing as a highly reckless act as former CIA chief John Brennan has described it or does it go with the Trump administration's maximum pressure policy against Iran? I mean, obviously, whether this was a reckless act or not depends on who you ask. If you ask uh, a number of people here in Washington, they'll tell you that this is uh, unfortunate development. This is going to escalate potentially into a very dangerous situation. And now the United States has to worry about Iran's response, which, thank God, so far has been very restrained. The Iranians have called this assassination an Israeli trap, and they have vowed not to fall into it. So that's the that's where we are now. But in terms of you know where this fits in in the bigger picture, certainly the maximum pressure campaign of the Trump administration uh, was open-ended. I mean, uh, there were no uh, limitations to it. Uh, people tend to look at it in terms of just uh, focusing on sanctioning Iran, but the fact is that the maximum pressure campaign has included intense intelligence uh, gathering and offensive operations against the Islamic Republic of Iran by the United States and its allies. It has included an assassination of General Ghassan Soleimani just about a year ago. And this, uh, you know, whether this was a joint U.S.-Israeli assassination of Fakhrizadeh, time will show. But certainly, um, you know, the Trump administration, uh, even if it wasn't involved in this, in terms of the planning and the execution of this assassination, they uh, were not going to stop the Israelis from doing it. And they haven't really criticized Israel for having done it either, which uh, none of that surprises us because the Trump administration has, uh, throughout its time in office, been determined to aid Israel uh, against the Islamic Republic and put as much pressure on the Iranian regime on all levels as possible. Iran has vowed to take revenge. Hardliners have even called for a strike on the Israeli city of Haifa. Parliament has passed a bill that would halt nuclear inspections by the United Nations and give a boost to uranium enrichment if European nations that signed the 2015 nuclear deal do not give relief from oil and banking sanctions. Is space for relative moderates like President Rouhani shrinking? I mean, there are a number of issues here that you touched on. In terms of, you know, retaliations against Israel, most of that is posturing and slogans that Tehran has issued in the past. The Iranians uh, will not attack any sites in Israel, certainly not with their uh, missiles anytime soon. The Iranian regime is not looking for an all-out war with the Israel or the United States or anyone else for that matter. Uh, but they needed to sort of, uh, you know, take a stance for domestic consumption and for their image in the region and the Islamic world. But that is not in the short term going to translate into a, a swift retaliation by the Iranians. Something could happen later on. But I'm sure the Iranians will take their time and do a very careful cost-benefit analysis in terms of what they can or cannot or should not do vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, you know, the assassination of Fakhrizadeh. In terms of the question about where the Iranian moderates are in all of this, uh, whatever Iranian moderate means, the fact is that uh, Iran and the United States um, 
are looking to resume diplomatic talks. This is what the Iranian President Rouhani wants. I don't think the Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei is against it. What the hardliners, including the ones who dominate the Iranian parliament uh, or the majlis they want to do, is to shape the, the framework of the upcoming negotiations and to make sure that Rouhani and his moderate faction do not uh, use the coming talks with the Americans and the possibility of the lifting of sanctions to empower themselves domestically in Iran in this uh, competition for power between the moderate faction in the Iranian regime and the hardline faction. So uh, a lot of it, it's in terms of going forward and, and limiting uh, Rouhani's options. Uh, those limitations imposed on, on Rouhani are uh, driven by two factors. One is to make sure he doesn't uh, become seen by the Iranian public as someone who so- somehow magically turned things around uh, in Iran's favor just before the June elections of, of next year, 2021, when, uh, when Rouhani's uh, successor will be elected. And, and number two, they also want to make sure Rouhani and Zarif, Foreign Minister Javad Zarif, they don't create a process of open-ended negotiations with the Americans because the hardline faction in Tehran for example, doesn't really want to talk about what Iran is doing in the region, doesn't want to talk about Iran's missile program and so forth. So it, a lot of this is also to sort of a limitations on what Rouhani can talk to the Americans about while he's still in office for the next six months. What are the chances of getting Iran back to the negotiating table so far as the nuclear deal is concerned? What options does Joe Biden have, given that Trump has done all he can to make life tougher for him? I mean, look, it really depends on uh, how small or how big Joe Biden decides to go on the Iran question. If he limits himself and if he's happy just to have a nuclear deal with Iran uh, that is limited to just that, Iran's nuclear program, its centrifuges or how much enrichment it carries out, uh, then the chances for another nuclear deal like 2015 is actually pretty strong because, you know, what the Iranians want to do is to have uh, the opportunity for New Deal to get the American sanctions lifted uh, uh, from their backs because they are suffering so much as a result of these sanctions. But if Joe Biden goes to Tehran or or expresses the view to the Iranians that he wants to go beyond just the nuclear issue, he wants to talk about the Iranian regional policies, Iran's other actions, including its program uh, on on developing missiles and so forth, then the process uh, becomes quickly much more complicated and the likelihood for a certainly a swift resolution will be far less likely. So I think what the Biden administration knows at this point is that it's better for them to not ask of too much of Rouhani uh, to start the conversation at least to to put a break on Iran's advancing nuclear program, to sort of rescue as much as possible the 2015 nuclear deal. And then once you have hopefully created some goodwill to broaden the conversation. But I think the Biden team, they know well at this point that maximum pressure campaign on Iran doesn't work. It didn't work for Trump. And, you know, uh, instead of having a continuation of a Trump policy of maximum pressure uh, just under a new president, this time called Joe Biden. Why shouldn't the next American president try something different to start small and hope for a bigger conversation once there is enough trust created as part of the initial conversations that you can have a broader conversation? 
could there be a potential escalation of tensions in west asia you have, we have seen this back and forth between uh, iran and saudis given uh, the netanyahu the reported netanyahu meeting secret meeting with uh, uh, secretary of state pompeo and mohammed salman look i mean there's no denying the fact that the middle east west asia is a bit of a tinderbox at the moment uh, but it's not just limited to iran and united states or iran and saudi arabia rivalries are rife across the western asia and you can start from you know turkey vis the saudis turkey vis the emiratis the egyptians versus the turks i mean there's tension in eastern mediterranean there's tension in levant in places like obviously a uh, lebanon outright uh, uh, civil war still going on in syria you got iraq that's highly unstable uh, the saudis are trying to figure out what their succession process will look like once king salman leaves the stage and the emiratis the, the bahrainis and the sudanese just signed a historic deal with the israelis called abram accords although it's too early to judge whether that's going to go anywhere long story short you got number of balls in the air right now so this isn't just about Iran and and um, Saudi Arabia or Iran United States or even Iran and Israel although Iran is a flashpoint in the sense that it's very likely given the presence of the Iranians in so many different theories in the region that some kind of conflict involving Iran is probably the most likely having said that across the board nobody wants an all out war certainly Iran and the Gulf states do not want to have an all out war with each other they all appreciate the deep cost associated with all out war i think the region overall is exhausted there isn't much spare capacity right now to engage in a military conflict that will be economically very costly the price of oil is still low covid-19 crisis has hit the economies of the region economies are in crisis to start another war is probably not something that anybody at this point wants and yet they're all going to engage in the same kind of proxy conflict against each other going forward and the best thing one can hope for at this point is that you create some kind of a process where there is enough common understanding that for the sake of the collective good there needs to be an effort or efforts of de-escalation in number of areas in the region as i said from the mediterranean to the arabian sea from the caucasus to the deserts of arabia this is how big the region is middle east and the arab world i mean we're talking about about half a billion people uh some two dozens of countries there are many different interests that need to be um considered when we look ahead in terms of what is likely to happen uh but i think at this point uh, let's hope for the best let's hope that wiser heads will prevail and they would uh settle on um an effort to de-escalate as opposed to escalate which is a always a slippery slope can lead to all our war which you know right now the middle east the last thing they want is another new war how do you see joe biden juggling us ties with iran and ties with israel keeping both happy at the same time is a tough task right joe biden is obviously someone who was vice president under president obama he has a team that is uh made up of people who are architects of the 2015 nuclear deal he has a democratic party here in this country that is interested in salvaging the nuclear deal uh so on the issue of the iran nuclear deal biden would in terms of his political instincts and his background where he's coming from he wants to uh, go back to something that looks like 2015 probably not a 2015 deal itself because you know 5 years later so much has changed 
but something that looks like a diplomatic resolution and uh, to begin with will be limited to the nuclear issue. But if you're sitting in Tehran, you should not forget that Joe Biden is someone who's been pro-Israel his entire political career. Almost 50 mm-hmm. years, he has had a very solid pro-Israel record. That's not going to go away. Uh, someone like Secretary of State nominated uh, Tony Blinken is pro-Israel. That's not going to go away. So if the Iranians genuinely are interested in some kind of a, a uh, sustainable and broad conversation, dialogue, and a deal essentially with the Americans, they need to be realistic and consider the fact that for Washington, uh, the issue of Israel is really uh, the beginning and the end of almost all the conversations about Iran at this point. So they need to start thinking about how, if they want to deal with the United States, how they can adjust or readjust their policy in Israel, because that's the only way I can see in the foreseeable future uh, American president, be it Biden or whoever comes after him, uh, to be able to kind of start considering Iran as a normal state. As long as the Islamic Republic keeps its policy of not recognizing the right of Israel to exist, Islamic Republic cannot be considered a normal state. And that, you know, the solution to that is only found in Tehran and not in Washington. Do you see Iran blinking first? Well, I mean, they haven't so far. Uh, that was the whole point of the maximum pressure campaign. They didn't blink. Um, they have paid a very steep price. They have literally squandered many billions of dollars every month for the last four years almost by not being willing to talk to Trump. You can discuss why, why that is. Is a historic pride, national pride ideological stubbornness on the part of the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei. I don't know, it could be a combination of all those factors. But uh, the fact is, uh, it's not just about Iran blinking, it's also about countries out there in the world, and, I mean, Russia and China come to mind right away, who are encouraging Iran not to blink first, because they don't want to see America back in Iran. It's not in the interest of Russia or China to see America back in Iran. So there are interested parties in this fight that are telling the Iranians, do not cave into American pressure. We will support you. We'll buy enough oil, trade with you, invest in your economy, and support you diplomatically in places like the United Nations. Then you don't need to uh, cave in and blink first. And I think that is a message that has been consistently given by the Russians and Chinese to Iran. If the Iranians were putting their own national interests first, they would very quickly recognize that that's all good and fine for Russian and Chinese interests because they have their own fight with the United States, but why on earth should Iran become the you know, turf and the battleground for Russian-Chinese competition for power in the Middle East against the United States when Iran could put its own interests first and pursue a more balanced foreign policy where it gets itself away from you know, being under pressure by the Americans? And there are things the Iranians can do to, to fix that situation. On that note, Alex, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much for the call. Have a great day. Thanks.